Hello and welcome to The Transfer Window, the podcast that consistently brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis into all the subjects and, of course, transfers that you're talking about. I mean, the guy with me, as always, is the guru, Mr. Dublin Castles, who's recently been awarded an Oscar uh, which I think is very impressive. Uh, not as impressive as obviously him awarding donkeys every Friday, but of course you'll have to wait for that later in the week. Uh, today on the pod we're bringing news from Paris Saint-Germain, AC Milan, also Real Madrid, Spurs, Everton, uh, Inter Milan and Manchester City. But Duncan, we start with um, breaking news and big news as well about the destination of AC Milan's Italian international goalkeeper who is out of contract this summer and has been attracting interest from the Premier League but you understand that his destination will not be England but elsewhere. Yes, um, information I have is that Paris Saint-Germain have come to an agreement with Mino Raiola primarily and Gianluigi Donnarumma who as you say has kind of been left in an unexpected position of having his club options limited when, when Milan um, said, no, thank you, Mino, we're not going to pay you a massive commission uh, to renew this player's contract and we're not going to give him the 10 million net salary you're asking for. Uh, we're taking Mike Mignon from Lille, uh, French champions, uh, for a 12 million euro fee and um, wages that I understand to be 2.5 million net. Um, substantially less than your client and we think he's as good if not better a goalkeeper and, and I know that move has been much admired by significant people in Italian football that um, Paolo Mal- Maldini and Milan had the strength to stand up to Raiola and put such a, an impressive uh, replacement in place. We told you some time ago that Donnarumma had been offered to Manchester United by uh, Mino Raiola and that United had taken that conversation seriously with them having their own concerns over both of their first choice goalkeepers because they do effectively have two first choice goalkeepers at present. The other main uh, club who had the financial resources to take Donnarumma or Paris Saint-Germain. Um, my information is that Leonardo's come to an agreement uh, the, the sports director there to take him to be a replacement for Kaylor Navas. Um, now, there is an important twist in this uh, tale in that the Paris Saint-Germain players have now been informed or learned that Navas is to be replaced by Donnarumma this season and they've expressed their discontent at that decision. Navas, a very popular player within the, the squad group, has also performed um, consistently well for PSG during his time at the club. And there is now a discussion coming from Leonardo's side, that they will complete the the uh, contract with Donnarumma and look to loan him out to another club for a year um, so that Navas can have one more season at Paris Saint-Germain um, before they upgrade to Donnarumma, which is quite an extraordinary uh, state of affairs. But this is Paris Saint-Germain and they, they are an extraordinary club and an additional bit of information which is relevant to this and relevant to many things going on around PSG this summer, one of which is the the future of Maurizio Pochettino, is that Leonardo's position as as sports director is in question at present. 
And um, I've got multiple sources telling me that, that there is a strong possibility that Qatar will decide to change Leonardo again and bring a new sports director in. No definite decision made, but he has upset Pochettino uh, during their time at the club and that has fed into Pochettino's attempt to get the Real Madrid job and also um, the proposal that he returned to Tottenham. Um, but also, more significantly, Leonardo has upset a number of players at Paris Saint-Germain and Qatar... Um, has a decision to make uh, as they fight over retaining Pochettino, as they fight to retain Kylian Mbappe. Um, do is it time to change sports director this summer in order to uh, to restructure and get them back on track for uh, winning the French league title, which they they handed over to Leo this season, and uh, and finally achieving that that most coveted goal of winning the Champions League and doing it before Abu Dhabi do it with Manchester City. We'll come back to the extraordinary circumstances of Real Madrid and changing coaches uh, very soon. Um, and I'd just like Leonardo to know that I'd be happy to um, take Donnarumma on loan for my five-a-side team <laughs> for the season, as long as they're paying the wages. Uh, that'd be quite nice. Quite an important um, caveat, that, as long as they're paying the wages. <laughs> I reckon we'd win to nil every time. <laughs> Imagine Dunham playing on a small goal. Anyway, um, but Duncan, more news on another goalkeeper, another international goalkeeper, uh, who is interesting, uh, the new Roma manager, Jose Mourinho. Yes, Rui Patricio, um, one year left of contract at Wolves. Um, we told you some months ago that Wolves... Circumstances are such that they're they're looking to to reshape and rebuild and move on uh, players on substantial contracts. And Rui Patricio is one of the highest paid players at the club. Um, there is an opportunity that's presented itself um, because Roma need a goalkeeper because Mourinho has decided that position needs to be upgraded. Um, there are good relationships between uh, Patricio's representatives and the uh, director of sport at Roma and that deal is currently under discussion and being proposed and uh, would uh, would mean Wolves losing a player who's who's been a big part of their success in the Premier League and in European competition and he joined in 2018 from Sporting um, after contractual issues and um, you know, significant background tension at the Lisbon club. I think Wolves have, did a great deal um, in getting him into their squad and, and has been a, an important part of, of their success. Uh, 33 now, 92 appearances for Portugal, I think generally regarded as one of the top goalkeepers in European football. Um, I don't know what the, the fee uh, being discussed is, that that's going to be an interesting marker of how much money... Uh, Wolves will insist on getting for a player like Patricio if they decide to let him go at a time when Ruben Neves is also on the market, um, and uh, and they are and they're looking with Adama Traore as a, as another option to sell to raise cash um, to build a squad that can compete at the top end of the Premier League again. Um, with Bruno Lage as coach, another story we broke on the podcast. They're waiting for um, work permit um, being issued on appeal to allow Lage to take over from Nuno. And I think some interesting words from 
their uh, senior executive at the club, um, Jeff Shee, this week, where he pretty much talked about how a, a rebuilding programme at Molyneux has been put on hold because Foson feel that they have to prioritise limited resources on the playing staff uh, and on uh, on structuring a squad that can carry on the plan they've had of bringing younger players in, um, achieving success with them, selling them, reinvesting in the team. Many people were um, surprised, I would have to say, um, not necessarily here at the Transfer Window podcast um, by the departure of Zindin Zidane. We have been reporting on that for many weeks now with regards to his position at Real Madrid. Uh, Maurizio Pochettino was someone who was very much uh, mentioned with regards to being a replacement for the former France captain, as well as, obviously, um, Carlo Ancelotti, who took the job in the end um, with some speed, leaving Everton uh, with a problem to solve because he was their, inverted quotes, uh, Hollywood manager and someone who uh, is revered by the fans, even though perhaps a disappointing season, uh, finishing in 10th in the Premier League. But however, um, the lure to go back to Madrid, uh, a club where uh, he obviously managed for two years previously, and um, he is looking to secure a record-breaking fourth Champions League win uh, should he manage to do that with uh, Real Madrid in his second spell there. Now, Pochettino, I understand, Duncan, uh, had a break clause in his contract, but it expired on May 31. We're obviously June 2nd now. And PSG, in order to make it more difficult to extract uh, Pochettino, uh, activated the extension on his contract for another year uh, and therefore Madrid became less of an option for him but however obviously Spurs have been heavily linked with trying to get him to return to London uh, as their manager Uh, however it's also the case that we understand here at the Transfer Window podcast that Lille coach newly crowned champions of Ligue 1 have um, received a note of interest from Tottenham in their coach, Christophe Gaultier, uh, who Spurs are interested in on the basis that uh, it may be the case PSG will be recalcitrant and certainly difficult to deal with taking Pochettino back. Um, I'm not sure who's better suited, Duncan, um, in terms of those two candidates. Um, Clearly Spurs are struggling a little bit. Um, They've been looking for a new coach for a good while now. Uh, well, Ryan Mason's been in interim charge. You would think that they had a plan. However, it seems that the plan changes from day to day. I think they've had several plans and and, and the plans keep slipping away from them. Um, yeah. the, the, the first plan was Josie Mourinho comes in and, and uh, takes them on uh, to comp- proper competition for the Premier League title they invest heavily in the squad they, they, they rebuild the squad into something that can compete with the best teams in the league um, that slips away because of Covid um, and and they do not have the finances to, to buy the players that uh, they'd promised Mourinho when he took that job 
um, then they decide to to sack Mourinho um, in the week of a of a League Cup final, their first opportunity to win a trophy for 13 years. They have Julian Nagelsmann lined up as a replacement. Nagelsmann's agent has been pushing him very hard for several months. They think that sacking Mourinho means they can uh, they can get Nagelsmann in, but by that stage, Bayern Munich um, have lost Hansi Flick. Nagelsmann takes that job and, and they're, they're back to the drawing board again. You're right, there's been a lot of discussion about Pochettino coming back and I, I think much of that is driven by his unhappiness at Paris Saint-Germain. It's not been a good marriage. Um, some very interesting information um, on how he is regarded by the players at the club and, and we've talked on the podcast that um, they like they have liked his um, personality and the way he handles them man to man, but not been particularly impressed by his training. Um, been asking about that again this week, and I've told that that um, Pochettino started at PSG very much as he coached at Tottenham, with a huge emphasis on fitness and work rate, uh, pushing the players very hard. Um, that did not bring about the expected results. He he struggled throughout his time um, in charge of PSG in the league. And after a a sequence of bad results, Neymar, I'm told, in front of the other players, said to Pochettino, you're working us too hard in training. Um, We're we're having bad results because we're we're doing too much in training. We need to focus more on technical work. And effectively, Pochettino backed down. And, and followed that new regime, so so handed over authority to um, the best paid player at the club, which is, I think, dangerous in in any circumstances, but particularly dangerous at a place like PSG. And and I suspect this feeds into this attempt to get out. Now there has been a lot of, a lot of talk about Tottenham, but I've I've talked to people at Real Madrid um, about what happened um, with Zidane's exit, with the planned. Um, replacement of him, which I think has been res- misreported in some areas, and with Pochettino, and they're they're clear that Pochettino was calling um, them and making himself available and wanted to take over from Zidane. Um, they were told by Pochettino um, or people around him this week that he thought he could get out of PSG, um, but that was blocked by PSG in the in the manner you you have described. Um, I think roll back a little bit to how this situation came around we've been telling you about Max Allegri's interest in in taking over Real Madrid and Florentino's Perez's interest in hiring Allegri for months Um, there had been extensive discussions between uh, those two parties as they waited for Zidane to make a decision over his future um, waited to see whether they would have to dismiss Zidane or whether he would step away Himself, I'm told there's as many as five or six meetings between and discussions between Allegri and Real Madrid representatives. A contract had been drawn up. Um, discussion of how they would restructure the club this season, which areas they would um, recruit new players in. Allegri had given his word to Real Madrid that he would join, um, and then, as as we described in Friday's podcast, um, Juventus came in, John Elkin in particular, the head of the the, the group that owns Juventus, pushing um, Allegri to come back as coach and uh, eventually offering him everything he asked for in terms of authority over transfers, 
um, sports director Fabio Paratici going out, the human element that we, we talked about of um, Allegri's young son Giorgio living in Torino and going back to Juventus allowing him to spend more time with his son from a, from a previous marriage. And uh, Madrid were informed uh, on the day that uh, Allegri said yes to Juventus, I'm sorry, we, we, I'm not going to take that contract anymore. And then pushed into this situation of finding another coach. On Tuesday, um, they held a, a Zoom meeting, senior members at Madrid, where they discussed the candidacy of Pochettino, Raul, who's in charge of uh, the Barcelona B team, and Christophe Gaultier. As, uh, as potential replacements. Um, subsequent to that meeting, they had a, a call from Carlo Ancelotti's side saying that Ancelotti was unhappy at Everton, could get out of the club easily because of uh, terms he had in his contract and would they be interested in bringing him back. Another Zoom meeting was held uh, later that day once, once that call had come in. Florentino Perez loved the idea of Ancelotti coming back and sent Director General Jose Angel Sanchez to Liverpool on a private jet to tie up the deal. And um, and that's how it came about and how Everton have been left in a situation of scrambling for a new manager um, after Ancelotti decided he wanted out. And um, I think... Uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see how Ancelotti gets on in Madrid. You know Carlo particularly well, Ian. He, he is the arch-pragmatist. Um, I don't think it's hard to see why he decided that stepping away from Everton after finishing 10th, where he was very popular, but the results didn't really come in the field over the course of the season, to go back to Madrid um, in a time when they are kind of moving out the generation of players that he won the Champions League with, won the, the decima within his first season at Madrid. Um, that time they had Ronaldo, Modric, Ramos, Bale, Benzema all in their mid-20s. Now they have uh, most of those players in their 30s. And uh, one of the reasons I was given by people at Madrid who made this decision over bringing Ancelotti in was they feel he has the the human skills um, to manage that transition of, of the old guard um, getting less playing time, being moved out of the club and integrating the young players and that, that they feel is his strongest skill um, and and the reason why they chose him over the other names they were discussing yesterday morning. I think it says a lot, Duncan, about um, Carlo um, and his situation, if you like. I think it was surprising, wasn't it, for everyone that he took the job at Everton because he has managed the biggest clubs in the world. He's won the champion. He's won everything. He's won leagues in four countries. He's won the Champions League, and going to Everton seemed like almost not not an odd decision, but certainly a surprising one. Um, what wasn't surprising was to learn that he had a clause in his contract which named certain clubs that if they made an approach and offered him a contract, then he would be allowed to leave without compensation, which is the reason why this deal happened so quickly. Um, I'm told that Carlo learned of Zidane's exit at least uh, as early as last Friday, so three days before it became public knowledge. And as you said, Duncan, the call was made to say that he would be available to go there. 
He's a safe pair of hands, Carlo. Let's face it. He's someone who uh, Florentino Perez trusts. He's someone who um, will be at ease and diplomatic uh, rather than confrontational with regards to the policy of the club going forward. And by that, I mean transfers as well as the uh, dealings with the press, which is very hostile if Madrid don't succeed. And, of course, they've not won a trophy now for the first time in 11 years. So as regard uh, Ancelotti and Real Madrid, I think it's a very smooth transition. Um, he knows most of the players are still there. He will be given money to spend, albeit it will not be possibly as much as it has been in the past. But he'll deal with it in the kind of way that Carlo does. And that is that he'll accept what he's given accept the players that are brought in and he'll try and coach them the best he can. One one of the points of discussion I had with the um, person involved in this decision was what what role will Carlo have in transfers and it was there will be no role in transfers. First clause <laughs> of the contract, the club decides who are signed. Well, ever since his days at AC Milan, Duncan, Duncan uh, Carlo has been used to that and his time at Chelsea was characterised also by a similar arrangement. So uh, I don't, you know, as I said, he's very diplomatic. He doesn't complain in public. He's someone who the club can trust to handle himself um, with regards to not sullying the reputation of the president or anyone else uh, and basically be very pragmatic with regards to making the best of what he has. Um, and for Carlo as well, you said he that he wasn't he was unhappy at Everton. I know that he didn't settle very well uh, on Merseyside. His uh, his Canadian wife preferred to spend time elsewhere. Going to Madrid again, I think, is going to be um, hugely beneficial in terms of his personal life. Uh, obviously, his son is one of his assistant coaches as well, and therefore this looks like you know. A, all it will be a second marriage. Um, it will be. It could also be a very happy one as well. Um, yeah, I think it was noticeable in the statement he made upon leaving. Uh, he said an unexpected opportunity, which I believe is the right move for me and my family at this time. Um, and well, reference to the wife, but the family also includes his his son, who's his uh, assistant coach, and and who would not rather be uh, assistant coach and and the lead training ground coach at Real Madrid rather than Everton. It also interesting for Gareth Bale, I think, because Gareth Bale is supposed to go back to Real Madrid, and uh, the reason that Ancelotti was sacked in 2015 was a disagreement with Florentino Perez over how Gareth Bale should be used, something that Ancelotti talks extensively about in one of his books, how how um, Bale got Jonathan Barnett um, to go to him and complain about his use in the team um, and that he wanted to be used more centrally in a strike force, remember, that con- contained Benzema and Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, and how Carlo was utterly unimpressed that Bale didn't have the the, the balls to talk to him directly. Uh, about such a request and sent his uh, his agent to do so. Um, Ancelotti didn't take that well. The agent then went to Florentino Perez and uh, and expressed the same message. And uh, and Florentino Perez came down on the side of Bale 
uh, and uh, and Jonathan Barnett and Ancelotti was sacked at the end of uh, that season. So be intriguing to see how that most pragmatic and diplomatic of managers handles the situation if Bale is sent back to Madrid and um, and he's asked to reintegrate him into the team. I do love the idea, Duncan, of um, people like Pochettino and Carlo calling Florentino Perez to say, uh, give us a job. <laughs> go on, go on. I want a job. Go on, give me it. Um, and of course, it is our information, as you know. We also have the inside information on Big Sam, who also called Florentino Perez and said he was firing up the Granada, to which Florentino replied, please don't set fire to Granada. It's a lovely place. <laughs> Um, Everton have a problem now, Duncan. Um, they made a big statement by appointing Ancelotti. Uh, and also, they obviously spent a lot of money in the transfer window and will likely invest again this summer. Um, it's our understanding that Nuno Espirito Santos, having left Wolves, is one of the coaches they are considering, uh, given the job he did at Molyneux. But he's also under consideration, though not first choice, for the Spurs job. Would you see a better fit at one or other of those clubs? No, no, Espirito Santo has been offered to Everton. It's not a surprise. The job has opened up unexpectedly. It's um, behind Tottenham, I think, the most attractive of, of the jobs available in the Premier League this summer. There are a few coaches looking for positions. I, Rafael Benitez, I understand, is being pushed very aggressively um, by a Spanish agent to Everton. There's a degree of interest there. I think um, one agent, Kia Jurabshin, is going to be very important in this process because he has the ear of Farhad Mashiri um, and will be advising him uh, on on certain coaches. I think I think this one is it's. I think it's still pretty open because it's happened at, at um, in a manner where which Everton couldn't really expect um, to lose Ancelotti to Madrid in this way, um, and they need they need to get the appointment right because they've gone through quite a lot of um, of failed appointments at the club. Um, there's a massive inv- investment from Alisher Usmanov in the. Stayed the new stadium in uh, the playing staff, which still needs to be um, whittled down. They still need to get numbers off off the squad and and get wage bill off the squad and and get money put into more effective areas of the team. I think some good work's been done there, but there's there's more to do. Um, I'm not sure who the best uh, best option is for them. I think um, they might want to cast a net. Um, a little wider and and take their time on this one uh, before making a final decision on 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 who takes on a, a very important job for them. We also understand that Frank Lampard uh, is one of the contenders on Everton's list to replace uh, Ancelotti, although of course these are very early days with regards to the process. Um, however, Duncan, I think you're correct in saying it's something they have to get right. Um, but at the same time, with the financial uh, backing they have, it's definitely a good job for any coach to go into. It's 
strong squad already, albeit disappointing finish in terms of 10th, but with the capacity to invest properly in the summer market and to look upwards rather than backwards um, with regards to how they do next season. Well, they also have the opportunity of, appoint- of appointing your friend Eddie Wy, um, now that he's formally been uh, crossed off the list at Celtic. Let's not go there. <laughs> Former Everton striker Romelu Lukaku is in a bit of a quandary, Duncan. He um, finds himself, uh, having been Capocannonieri, as we say in Italian, the Golden Boot winner in Serie A, with Internazionale having won uh, the Scudetto and yet with the club's financial uh, problems as well as the fact that they have changed manager a manager in Antonio Conte who as you described Duncan was Papa Antonio uh, to Lukaku and who Lukaku has on several occasions praised to the heavens as being like a father to him, um, has left the club. Simone Anzaghi is the incoming coach. Uh, another formidable Serie A striker who you would think would understand Lukaku and his needs. It's also we understand that Inzaghi has yet to speak to Lukaku about his future. And Lukaku is in two minds. On one side, he uh, is very, very comfortable and likes living in Italy, loves playing in Serie A, uh, obviously has had a very successful season, uh, therefore is not necessarily um, desperate to change. However, on the other side, Chelsea are looking for a new number nine and Thomas Tuchel, uh, big Tam, wants uh, to bring in a striker of Lukaku's style and physicality, something we reported on the podcast a couple of weeks ago uh, when we were talking about the future of both Erling Haaland and Kylian Mbappe. Chelsea have the money, uh, they have the wherewithal. Obviously, Lukaku spent uh, not necessarily a happy time at Chelsea uh, in his earlier career and was loaned to West Brom and then sold to Everton, who then sold him to Manchester United. But it would not be an unfamiliar uh, move for Lukaku to return to London and play under a manager who, let's face it, has just won the Champions League. You know, there's not can't be a lot to grumble about with regards to the potential of returning to Chelsea. Um, the thing, I guess, with Lukaku, Duncan, is his transfer fee will be high, and there's some hundred million euros. His wages will also be high. Um, we know Chelsea are not. Um, cash poor do we see this as a very credible move for Lukaku should Inter decide that they would rather keep uh, players they already have on the books under Inzaghi um, rather than uh, not sell Lukaku for the cash in order to ease their financial difficulties we know they they need to raise money Um, and we know Antonio Conte's left because of that. Um, and there is a great deal of uncertainty about Inter. Um, Lukaku, I'm told, is playing a waiting game. As you described, he likes life in Italy. He likes the success he's had over there. He's worried. He's not impressed at 
Papa Conte has has left and been allowed to leave. Um, and he wants to to know what the status of the club is going to be and what what he's capable of uh, achieving on the the pitch. Um, he has the Euros coming up, which is very important for him. So I, I, the the guidance I have is he's going to focus on that and wait and see what develops. Chelsea, although there have been noises, are not pushing hard directly with the player as yet. Um, See, uh, Simone Inzaghi was told that Lukaku would not be sold and that he didn't have to sell him as a condition of, of coming to the club. And remember, we explained in the last podcast how he, he had actually agreed to sign a new contract at Lazio when Inter came in at the last minute. So he had a, a degree of, uh, of leverage with Inter when he accepted that job. Um, so it looks like Inzaghi's not going to be forced to sell the player. It looks like Inter have, have, have shifted position in that they'll try and move other players out. Um, Lukaku's been talked about as a candidate to go to Manchester City. Um, again, the information I'm getting is that he's not keen to return to Manchester. He's been in that city. He's lived there. It's not a place he would be interested in, in going back to. I think you're right to identify the, the cost of this deal. It's going to be a substantial fee and very substantial wages. So you have to balance that against other players that um, that Chelsea could go for in that position. Um, there's also a little bit of uh, history between Inzaghi and the Lukaku family in that uh, Jordan Lukaku, um, Romelu's brother, was uh, a Lazio player. Um, under Inzaghi for four seasons and uh, and didn't have the best of re- relationships with him as coach and ended up being loaned out to Antwerp last season. So I think Inzaghi will have a bit of a pitch to make to Romelu Lukaku to persuade him that not only does he want to keep him, that, he, that he's going to keep him as the central point in the team um, and, that, and that team is going to be one that uh, that can retain the, the Serie A title and and compete in the Champions League. It will be very interesting. Obviously, Chelsea are, as we reported in the podcast, open to offers for Tammy Abraham, uh, something which is being widely reported elsewhere uh, this week. Uh, of course, you heard it here first, as always. And Olivier Giroud is also uh, looking to leave Chelsea as well. So a striker is a priority for uh, big Tam Tuchel as we like to know, uh, in terms of the summer window. Just a, just a, since we're talking about Lazio and Inzaghi, just a little bit of information about Lazio's search for a replacement. Um, there had been discussions with Andre Villas-Boas, uh, bringing up the, uh, the, the, the quite um, fascinating idea that you could have Villas-Boas and Mourinho at opposite sides of, of Roma at competing clubs uh, particularly given the state of the relationship between the two, um, uh, long-standing fallout because of the way Village Post left Inter um, back in uh, the, uh, the 2009 um, was when that happened. Um, I'm told that VS Post has now stepped away from those discussions because the salary on offer at Lazio was too low. Um, understanding was this 1.5 million net they were proposing. Lazio are concentrating on trying to get Maurizio Sarri. 
they have an advantage there in that Sari is still under contract with Juventus despite not having coached them for over a year um, and that Juventus will owe him two and a half million euros net payment this season because of the final option year they wrote into his three-year contract when they, they hired him to replace Allegri. Um, great decision that was. Um, so that would allow Lazio to take Sarri and, and give him an effective higher um, overall uh, salary off the back of Juventus's continued compensation for um, the coach. Renew and Villas Bosch, Reed, Romulus and Remus. Maybe we have to get the, the, the bear in to separate them. <laughs> the bear or the wolf? <laughs> it's, it's certainly, it's certainly for interesting um, viewing, that's for sure. Uh, so, um, Duncan, we're going to, from going forward, as we always do on the Transfer Window podcast with regards to news, we're just going to pedal backwards a little bit because... Last weekend's Champions League final was obviously played out between two English clubs with Chelsea coming through as the winners on a one-goal victory over Manchester City. Lots and lots of things have been said and written and broadcast with regards to uh, how that result came about and also um, what mistakes may or may not have been made Duncan, we've spoken a lot about Pep Guardiola's team selections, game setup, tactical nous in big matches, especially big one-off matches or second legs in Europe's Premier Club competition. And it, you have to say, it looks like, once again, he either overthought it with regards to his team selection in not selecting his two best defensive midfielders but it could be just the case that uh, he he just got it wrong I, I think it is the case he got it wrong um, I, I've talked to a few people about this this week and they it's more about working out why he got it wrong and the, and the theory is that he wants to be seen as the great innovator he wants to be to be seen as 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 a genius and um, and, and wants to do something that other people wouldn't have thought of um, win the trophy and 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 get the, the the plaudits which he's used to receiving. I mean, he's he's commonly described as the best coach in the world. Yet, you you've got to look at the the record now. You and you have to look at it seriously because this is ten years since he last won the Champions League. Um, he's had three seasons at Bayern, easily the dominant force in Germany and one of the dominant forces in European football. They just won the Champions League when he came in. He's had five seasons at Manchester City in charge of the most expensive squad in the history of game. Over a billion euros of transfer fee commitments to that squad he took to Porto. I, I, sorry, Duncan. Catchphrase alert. <laughs> it, it, but it, it's so important to emphasise this because we, we hear that Guardiola is is the great coach. But look at the record. Those three seasons at Bayern with a fantastic squad of European winners. Five seasons at Manchester City. The entire club designed for him. Every level of executive brought in everything he could possibly want handed to him on a plate. 
the better resources, easily better resources than any other coach. Not only that, they, they broke the rules of the competition so that they've been found guilty of breaking competition rules of every governing body they play under during that period of Abu Dhabi ownership. So, so they've got better resources and they break the rules. Um, and what's he returned for those three seasons at Bayern, five seasons at Manchester City? One Champions League final in which his team achieved one shot on target. This is the great attacking coach. This is the guy who's supposed to be better than everyone else in his role in world football. He, he's been knocked out at Manchester City in the last 16 by Monaco, by Liverpool in a quarter-final, by Tottenham in a quarter-final, by Lyon in a quarter-final. Then he loses the Champions League final to a Chelsea side who finished 19 points behind um, City in the league this season and it wasn't City's best season in the league by any stretch of the imagination and scraped into fourth place on the final day because Leicester City couldn't get over the line um, he was adamant after the game that he'd got his selection correct, he said I did the best in the in the selection um, I was last season against Olympic de Lyon, de Lyon like it was against PSG against Dortmund I tried the selection the best to win the game the players know it. I think Elke Gundogan, who he played as the holding midfielder, played good. We were exceptional. We miss a little bit to break the lines in the first half. The second half was much better. It was a tight game. Uh, it's it, it's just not a fair reflection of what happened in that match. This wasn't a game in which Chelsea uh, sat on their own penalty area, um, looked to get a goal at, uh, at a dead ball, took the one chance they had and then went back and sat in the penalty area again. That first half, Chelsea were the better attacking team. They created numerous opportunities where if their forwards had been a little bit more effective, Timo Werner basically playing the way he has done for a lot of this season, they probably could have scored two, perhaps three times. That you know It wasn't a freak uh, single opportunity and defend. Tuchel set out a system which took advantage of the way Guardiola had set his team up and Guardiola didn't fix it. Um, it, it's a, it wasn't a particularly complex thing that Chelsea were doing. Uh, they were giving the ball to Ben Chilwell. Mason Mount was dropping towards Chilwell and uh, and Havertz and Werner were, uh, were breaking into the opposite side of the field. Where, where Zinchenko was left exposed. It wasn't a, that complicated a, a, a tactic to deal with. Guardiola ignored it and, and didn't produce anything going the other way. I, I mean, it was, it was basically a catastrophic performance when he had the opportunity finally to win the trophy that he was brought to the, the club to win. Interestingly, City chairman gave his annual um, address to... The fans, because obviously it was done through City TV, um, and as usual, it was a massive PR uh, affair. And he said that uh, they would definitely find the striker to fill the shoes of Sergio Aguero, the legend at the club. So a striker coming in. In terms of the striker, Duncan, lots of links to Harry Kane, but I, I, I must admit, I've not heard anything from the inside about City's interest in Kane um, I'm told that they're looking for a younger promising striker uh, someone who 
can be developed rather than someone who uh, has been in the Premier League like Kane for all his career. Yeah, look, Erling Haaland is on that list, as we we told you a long time ago. I think Harry Kane is on the list, but the, there is those issues of um, the cost of the transfer, difficulty of dealing with Daniel Levy and, and the age. It, it's, it would be an unusual deal for City to do. They buy players um, in the early half of their 20s with the expectation that they can keep them for 10 years and they've been very successful in doing that. They've been very strategic and, you know, Khaldun Al-Mubarak, the, the chairman of Manchester City and, and one of the most important individuals, politicians in, in Abu Dhabi, um, talked about that. And I, I think his, his interview was interesting in that uh, we've had Pep Guardiola saying on, on numerous occasions that they that uh, he didn't think City had the money um, to to do very, very big deals this summer. Um, Khaldun came out and, and basically said, we're going to throw more money at it. Um, one of the things I've learned over the years is you need to constantly bring in talent into the team, refresh, and particularly when, when you're at a high level and when you're on the top. You know, having won the league, it is not the time to actually sit back and be content that actually would be your biggest mistake. This is the time to send a strong message that there's no contentment, that you're not satisfied with just winning the league. And he also outlined, because the first time he gave one of these chairman interviews was 10 years ago, that uh, that, that had been their policy throughout. They were very strategic about this. Um, there was an interesting reminder that in that first interview, he said his target had been to win five Premier League titles over the next 10 years and that is exactly what they've achieved. Um, they've, they've won three of the last four. Um, they've been in the Champions League every year during that period and they've won more domestic trophies than any other English, English club. But you know he, what he said about um, their performance was in a league, the best team normally wins most of the time and I think we've had the best team most of the time, and accordingly five titles the last 10 years. I think our team performed to what it was built for. You can't argue with that. Uh, I think he's absolutely correct. The team with the best players generally wins the league. Um, they decided they were going to outspend everyone else to have the team with the best players. They did it. They got the results they expected and predicted, except in the one area, the Champions League. And, and and I think that all goes back into this question about Pep Guardiola and whether he has underperformed at the very, very highest level of the game, which is winning a European title. And and I think by his chairman's definition of the resources that they provided for him, and, and Caldoun was not criticising Guardiola in any way. Let's be clear on that. Uh, and he was, you know, he was clear that he wanted them to remain in charge. But by the chairman's definition of the resources he's provided them with and the expectation that they would deliver on average, Guardiola has, has underperformed in the Champions League and not just underperformed by chance or by bad luck, he's brought it on himself. Before we go, of course, it's the first podcast of the week, therefore it's time for Hero and Villain. And this time, Duncan and I are choosing to represent... Champions League final. Duncan? Uh, look, after that, what I just said there, I think it's very straightforward. Villain of the week, Pep Guardiola. 
Okay. <laughs> you, you already explained why, so we don't need you to tell us anymore. Uh, my hero will be um, Big Tam Tuchel, long-time friend of the podcast, um, a man who's sacked by PSG, uh, employed by Chelsea three weeks later, and five months later, having tried very hard to achieve the ambitions of Qatar to win the Champions League for the first time with PSG does it with Chelsea. Um, from what I'm told and heard, he is someone who uh, is adored by his players, even though he's been there a very short time. And that's one of the reasons why uh, they managed to overcome the might of catchphrase alert, the most expensively ex a squad in the history of football. So a big summer for Manchester City in terms of uh, rebuilding um, or strengthening their squad, uh, even though they have, as Duncan mentioned, become Premier League champions for the third time in four years. This has been, of course, the news before it becomes news on the Transfer Window podcast. If you like what you've heard, please give us a five-star review on iTunes, also, uh, you can contact us on social media at Transfer Podcast on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter, as well as Duncan at Duncan Castles and myself at Garbo SJ. We will be back later in the week with the second podcast. Uh, until then, stay safe, be well and thanks for listening. Hey.